Pastor Bill says, Craig, um, I want you to cover verses uh, 15 and 16. I want you to finish off this section. So um, that's what I'm going to do. And in order for me to do that, got to give the context, got to give you the whole picture. And you know, our, our pastor has done a fantastic job these last few weeks covering this scripture, hasn't he? But you know what the problem is? Problem is, I forget. <laughs> problem is, you forget. So you know what I'm going to do? We're going to go through a little of this over again, just so we can get the whole picture once again. Um, because as fine a job as he's been doing, yeah, I think we all need a little recap, okay? So let's go to chapter 4, and let's go to verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray. Hmm? Lord, we just thank you for the truth of your word, and we pray that, Lord, that you would open the eyes of our understanding as we look at the scripture. Lord, I, I just pray that you would be with every person here. I pray that, Lord, that you would draw them closer to you. I, I pray that, Lord, that... You, each person here would walk away with a better understanding of all of these things so that we might glorify your holy name. Lord, guide us these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, one of the things you see here in this scripture, starting with verse 11, is you get this assertion, okay? And this assertion is, Christ gave gifts, Okay? Verse 12, one of the things he does is he gives the purpose for these gifts. Verse 13, he gives a result of this gift. Verse 14, he gives a result. Verse 15, he gives a result. So let's, in verse 16, he gives yet another result. So let's take a, a little deeper look at this, okay? The first thing that we see with this assertion in verse 11 is that he gives gifts, Okay, these gifts are not for the world. These gifts are for the church. Okay, and what are these gifts in particular? Well, these gifts are five different types of leaders. Okay, and one of the things that we see is that these are apostles. These are prophets. These are evangelists, shepherds, 
and teachers. Okay? Here's the thing about all of these. All of these have a teaching-oriented ministry. Okay? This is an important thing because what happens is before you come to Christ, okay, your, your heart and your mind is spiritually darkened. And one of the things that happens even after you come to Christ is you need the eyes of your understanding opened. And you need to grow in your knowledge so that you can be effective at carrying out the Great Commission. And what does the Great Commission want us to do? Two things. Number one, we are to evangelize the lost. And number two, we are to teach the saved. And as a result of all that, one of the things that happens is, number one, Jesus Christ is glorified. Okay? Because he wants to reclaim the whole world. Number two, he wants you and me to draw closer to him. He wants you and me to become more like him. And so he gives these five different types of teachers. Okay? Now, when you look at the whole issue of apostles and, and prophets, okay, yeah, the apostles, there are only 12 of those who actually were with Jesus from the time of his baptism um, um, till the time of his ascension. And, you know, Paul was given a special dispensation. But, you know, some will argue, well, you know, those who are missionaries, you know, who are lifelong missionaries, that they are carrying on that sort of work of apostleship. Okay, that can be argued. There are some who argue against that, fine. And in much the same way, prophets. But here's the other thing. Whether, whether you're an apostle, whether you're a prophet, whether you're an evangelist, whether you are a pastor or just a teacher, you all have this job of ministering the word. Okay? And here's the thing. All these are not mere offices. All of these are empowered by the Holy Spirit. You know, you can get a guy and you can you can put him into an office, you know, the office of prophet, the office of of uh, apostle, the office of this, that, or the other thing, you know, pastor of hot air vents, you know. Doesn't matter if you do not have the gift of teaching. You can't do this work. Well, you can't do it well. And one of the things that he makes clear throughout the rest of the scripture is that the purpose of this, which we see in verse 
in verse 12, he says, the purpose is for the equipping of the saints. What do we mean by equipping the saints? He gives these different types of teachers so that we can be equipped, number one, for works of service, okay? And for building up the body of Christ. Okay, some people have this idea that what's supposed to happen is you get a pastor and you pay him and he's supposed to do the work of the ministry. Well, if that's what you think, you failed the test, okay? You and I are supposed to be doing the work of the ministry. Do you realize that 90% of people who are one to Christ and who are active in a church a year later are not won by pastors? They're not won by evangelists. Who wins them? You do. God has placed you where he has placed you in your workplace, in your play place. He has placed you where you are with a purpose. He has placed you to reach the people around you. both the saved and the lost. He has called you to do that work. Now, you know, one of the things that you, know, you tried to do, that I tried to do, and my friends, when, when I was teaching at seminary, we were trying to tell people we were trying to tell our students that, hey, um, your job is one of education. Your job is one of equipping. Here is the amazing thing. They've done studies over the last 30 years, and what they found is that the majority of seminary students have no interest in theology. That's a pretty amazing thing. Because you would think that that is the thing that they, that they would be there for. Here's something else also interesting. There is a, a magazine that um, a lot of pastors get across the denominations. The name of it is Leadership Journal. And every year, it, it comes out every quarter, and every year they have a special one on the subject of preaching and teaching. And here's the, and pretty much every year, because I've read it for a number of years, there's an issue always dealing with this subject of teaching. And one of the things that you find out is, it says, for a lot of guys in the ministry, this is a tough thing. Okay, make no mistake. 
Teaching the Word is a lot of work if you're doing it right. When I came in this morning, you know, um, I, I, uh, I had my Bible open, and I was uh, seated at a table with a number of guys, and I had my Bible open, and, and uh, I think it was Steve who asked, Craig, are, are, are you doing sermon prep? I said, I'm doing sermon prep till the moment I step in the pulpit. It requires that much work to do something decent. And hopefully, I'm doing it decently. You never know till after the fact, you know. Uh, sometimes you hit it and sometimes you miss it. But the bottom line is, unless you have the gift, you can't do the work. And here's the thing. The pastor is supposed to be teaching the congregation so that you can do the work of the ministry. You know, when I was um when I was, you know, young, a lot younger than I am now, I I, I went to engineering, you know, I got a I got a few engineering degrees. Okay? And you know, there's a bunch of people who've got engineering degrees and technical degrees and whatever else here. And, you know, the thing about engineering professors is a lot of them are not good at it. I mean, basically what happens is they have a lot of work for you to do as a student. And the ones who get the degree are the ones who just, I mean, they, they just work nonstop at it till they get the degree. Okay? And, you know, if you cross the finish line with that engineering degree, you've got a certain body of knowledge that, you know, is your ticket into the profession. Um, and you get there by working really hard. When I was a seminary student, the thing that I found is that most seminarians didn't work that hard to get their degree. Most of them, well, most of them just sort of coasted along. And they got their degree. And so here's what happens. You have a lot of guys who are in the ministry and they're pastoring churches, and they're frankly doing a terrible job of equipping the people. In this church, we've got a pastor who's doing a fantastic job, I think, of teaching us. And by the way, when you get a chance, let him know that you appreciate the job that, that he's doing. Because, you know, one of the things I've seen over the years is a lot of guys get beaten down in the work of pastoring. Because let me tell you one of the things that happens. No matter how good of a job he does, there's always somebody there to criticize him. 
no matter how good of a job he does. Now, you know, getting back to this whole idea of teaching, okay? Yeah, on the one side, you got the teacher who should be doing a good job. But you know what you also need? You also need good students. Folks, you have to do your part as well. So one of the, in verse 12, we get this purpose, equipping the saints. So let's start looking at the results. Verse 13, the first result, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Folks, for each and every one of us, that should be one of our goals. We should strive to become as much like Christ as we can. We should strive to know as much about him as we can. We should strive to know the word and to do what it says. Uh, I, I was thinking about Solomon this week, King Solomon. It is said that he was the wisest man who ever lived. And despite the supernatural wisdom that God gave him, he did not always have the will to use it. And as a result, both he and Israel went down some bad roads. Let's take a look at James chapter 1. And let's go to verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at, a natural, at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like, what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in what he is doing. We have a good teacher. Are you being a faithful hearer? Are you being a faithful doer? Because if we are going to attain to the knowledge of the Son of God, 
that's what you and I have to do. We have to hear the word. We have to chew on the word. We have to think about the word. We've got to meditate on the word. And we've got to do what that word tells us to do. Here's the next result. Verse 14. That we should not be like children tossed around by the waves. You know, um, it's been a long time since I've watched, you know, preachers on Sunday morning. But, you know, you, you get some real interesting characters with some of these televangelist types, okay? How many of you have ever seen Kenneth Copeland? Well, you're blessed if you haven't. I mean, good grief. Um, there are so many of these guys. One I remember <laughs> um, when, when I was a young Air Force officer was this guy, Ernest Angley. And this guy used to come up with some of the craziest nonsense. And people were sending him money like there was no tomorrow. So he had a whole lot of people who were being fed garbage. They didn't know what they believed. They didn't know why they believed it. And they were adrift tossed about on the waves of false doctrine. Paul is very concerned about this issue. Let's take a look at Acts chapter 20 because Paul writes about this a lot. And one of the things we see in when we take a look at Acts chapter 20 is we see um, Luke is explaining what happened with Paul as he left um, this church, <laughs> Ephesus, by the way, to which our letter is concerned. And when you go to chapter 20, verse 17, it says, Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you in the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and, in, and from house to house, testifying to both Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my, uh, account my life of, of any value 
nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock from among your own selves, and will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Here's the thing. Paul built this church. He, he planted this church. He loved these people. He did everything that he could to help them to grow in Christ-likeness. But here's one of the things he realized. When he left, he was going to have, there were going to be these people who were going to come in, and some from within the church itself. And they were going to exploit people in that congregation. They were going to give them false doctrine. They were going to steer the people astray. And it's not just here that he, he talks about that. Let's go to 2 Corinthians. Let's go to chapter 11. Let's go to verse 1. He says, I wish that you would bear with me a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaim, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I'm not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I'm not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way, we have made this plain to you in all things. Paul planted this church in Corinth. And there were people who were there leading the people astray. Let's go to Galatians. Let's go to Galatians chapter 1. Let's go to verse 6. I'm a 
astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I'm still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. You had people giving a different gospel in this church that he planted, that he preached at for a number of years, that he discipled these people. He, in fact, in chapter 3 of Galatians, he says this, Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask, ask you only this, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, that you're now being perfected in the flesh? There are always going to be people who are going to try to lead you astray. This is one of the reasons that it was so important that the Lord gave these kinds of leaders, these five kinds of leaders that we see here, okay? Let's take a look um, at 1 Timothy. First Timothy chapter 1. Let's take a look at verse 3. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than stewardship from God, that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. These guys, these false teachers, they don't even know what they're talking about. But if you're not careful, you can be led astray by them. Let's take a look at one more section of Scripture. Let's go to 2 Peter. Because one of the, the interesting things in 2 Peter is, well, he gives some commentary on Paul. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters 
when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and the unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity forever. Amen. So, when you, we look at what Paul is saying in chapter 4, verse 14 of Ephesians, okay? He's saying, look, I don't want you to be like children. I don't want you to be tossed about by every wave of doctrine. I, I want you to be strong. I want you to be steady. I want you to know our Lord. And, you know, he says that he wanted them to be aware, to be prepared for the cunning and craftiness of these false teachers that are out there. And they're out there in droves, by the way. Now let's take a look at verse 15. Because in verse 15, we have another result. He says this, rather than being like a child tossed about by all of this false teaching, he says that they should be speaking the truth in love. Paul's concern. And the concern of everyone teaching who's led by, our Holy, by the Holy Spirit is that you would grow in your knowledge of the truth. But also that you would grow in love with one another. Let's take a look... Um, at 1 Corinthians, let's go to chapter 8. Let's take a look at verse 1. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love does what? It builds up. Truth with love causes spiritual growth. And the truth spoken apart from love can be a destructive thing. Look, we need 
to learn as much as we can. We need to cling to the truth. And you know, there are times when we need to correct each other. But we need to do that within the bounds of love. Always within the bounds of love. Because our goal is to build up the body of Christ. To build up each other. You know, it is said that the church is the only army that kills its wounded. And sometimes we kill the wounded with the truth. Sometimes we can be too harsh. Sad truth of the matter is I'm speaking about myself here. Um, I have to watch myself sometimes. I, I can be pretty blunt. Too blunt at times. We are always to teach, to encourage with love. You know, um, one of the things, one of the other results here, Paul says in verse 15, we should grow into him in every way. What does he mean we should grow into him in every way? Well, you know, you look at what an athlete does. If you've got an athlete who's going to win the prize, what does he do? He trains. He practices. He exercises. He diets. He does every little thing that he can to improve. He strives. He has a goal. Folks, do you have a goal of becoming more like Christ? Do you have a goal of being more like him, of knowing as much about him as you can? What are you doing to achieve that goal? Well, here are some things we can do. Number one, we can start off by reading the scripture every day. And you know, even better, if you memorize some of that scripture. Here's something else you can do. Spend time with him in prayer. And I got to tell you, okay, prayer's a lot of work. 
It's just a lot of work. And, and frankly, I'm not the best at it. Here's something else. Fellowship. Look, we sharpen each other. And you know, if we love him, you know what else? We're, we're going to love each other. I got a friend who I've been talking with. And one of the things that that happens every so often is he'll talk to me about coming to church. And I'm always inviting him, and he always finds an excuse not to come. And, you know, he says, well, you know, I, I, I used to always go to church when, when I was a kid. And I always remind him, well, that doesn't matter. Your spiritual condition reflects is reflective and what you are doing right now. And if you belong to him, you're going to want to come to church. Okay? You always have these, quote, lone ranger type Christians. Quote, Christians. Look, if you belong to him, you can't stay away. Not be happy. I can't. Look, I look forward to Sunday morning. I look forward to, to Sunday night. I look forward to Wednesday night. I look forward to being around other believers. Because one of the things that happens is we strengthen each other. We're a blessing to each other. And here's something else that we could also do. Service. Not only to each other, but to the world at large. Are we, out, are we being a faithful witness wherever we are? Are we trying to show the love of Christ wherever we are? Because that's what you are called to. Verse 16. He says, From whom the whole body, joined and equipped together by every joint with which it is e equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body to grow so that it builds itself up in what? Love. Let's take a look at 1 John chapter 5. Let's start with verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. 
By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? To be born again, to be a Christian means that you not only obey God's commands, but that you love your brothers and sisters in Christ. And to the degree that you are growing in love, to the degree that you are growing in the knowledge of the truth, to the degree that you are growing in Christ-likeness, both as individuals and us as a church together, we are glorifying him. And that, folks, should always be our goal, to glorify him. Now look, if you are not a Christian, no, this applies to you. If you're not a Christian, you're on the outside. But if you are a Christian, what you need to ask yourself today is this. Am I striving to please him? Am I striving to grow in my knowledge of him? Am I striving to show the love of Christ wherever I am? Am I striving to glorify him wherever I am? If you're not a Christian, if you're not a Christian, if you do not repent, there's only death and hell in store for you. an eternal separation from God and from his people. If you are not a Christian, I hope that you will decide to follow him today. And if you are a Christian, I hope that you will 
strive to glorify Him in all that you think, in all that you say, and in all that you do. Let's pray. Lord, we, we, we thank you for the truth of your word. And Lord, I pray that you would be with every person here. I, I, I pray that everyone here is a believer. And I pray that everyone is truly a learning believer, a truly a disciple. Lord, help each of us to glorify you, to draw closer to you, to be what you would have us to be. For those who do not know you, Lord, I pray that you would bring them to repentance today. Lord, guide us. We sing in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.